0: Power plant, pumping station, and grocery store pushed to the limit.
1: The Outline, World Dispatch. It's Wednesday, September 20th, 2017. I'm Sam Thonis. Today on the Dispatch, New York may finally lift its ban on dancing.
2: It's just so embarrassing to have to tell people that you're not allowed to dance in New York City.
1: And a new law firm wants to help whistleblowers.
3: Whistleblowers should not have to sacrifice their careers because of concerns or actual retaliation.
1: Here's the dispatch. Culture. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Sam. So there's been some news about dancing in New York City.
0: Indeed. So the city officially came out this week in support of repealing a 91-year-old cabaret law That required any venue that had alcohol and food to acquire a separate license to allow people to dance.
1: So essentially, it was illegal to dance in New York City without a license before this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was certainly effectively illegal. So only a handful of actual venues in New York had a proper cabaret license. There were all sorts of bureaucratic hoops you had to jump through. I actually spoke with John Barclay, who works with Boston Nova Civic Club, a popular club in or a popular bar, really, in Bushwick, It's really iconic around the world for kind of having really good taste in dance music and electronic musicians.
2: We're just so tired of it. It's just so embarrassing to have to tell people that you're not allowed to dance in New York City.
0: And, you know, he struggled with this to a significant degree where, no matter how many different measures they took to make the place safer, no matter how many exits they added, how many security officers they added, this cabaret license really harmed their business.
2: It was originally enacted in 1926 as a way to break up African-American jazz clubs. It states that uh, dancing is illegal in any establishment that sells food or beverage that doesn't have a cabaret license. Mm. Um, A lot of people just assume you can just go and fill out a little bit of paperwork and spend a couple hundred dollars and you get this cabaret license, but the reality is that the cabaret license is pretty much impossible to obtain. You know they had to shut down several different times. They had different
0: raids and different interactions with law enforcement, and it really it, it creates a it creates a hampering for anyone who wants to own a small business or wants to be a part of a creative community in New York.
1: So they didn't have a cabaret license.
0: So along with a lot of the popular venues in and around Brooklyn and really throughout Manhattan, they don't have a cabaret license and you might find a sign next to a door, next to a bathroom that says no dancing. It's actually something that isn't necessarily common, but it's not uncommon if you go around enough venues in New York.
2: Right now there's somewhere around 25,000 food uh, or like bars and restaurants in New York City and out of those, somewhere around 90 have cabaret licenses.
1: It sounds like a lot of this is finally maybe going to change.
0: Right. So there was a long process, um, there's a group called Let NYC Dance, um, and, they've, and they spent the past year, roughly two years, really advocating and really pushing on a, on a foundational and a real activist level, getting the city to actually concretely say, this law is you know founded on a racist premise and it does
2: not serve the people of New York any longer. It's just a tool that they can use to shut any place down. Sometimes it's perhaps because there's some sort of you know illicit activity going on. A lot of times, it's just they don't like you. It could be because you're you know a a black bar or a gay bar in a conservative neighborhood, and they don't want that. And they say, "Well, I can't legally shut you down for being gay, but I can legally shut you down." And by shut down, I mean padlock the doors shut uh, because you're allowing dancing. Um,
0: so, with the help of a few city councilmen. This bill was brought to the city council, and one of the aides for the mayor came up and said they are now supporting repealing the cabaret law.
1: After how many years of it being in effect?
0: So the law has been in effect for 91 years, and up until, you know, three months ago, the mayor's office was in lockstep with every other mayor before him, which was basically, you know, there are safety concerns to be addressed or the law. We don't really enforce the law that much, so it's not really a big deal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but now it's the, this is the first time where the city has come out and said, you know, we are in support of taking this law off the books entirely.
1: Do you have a sense of how long it'll be before they actually decide any of this?
0: Um, so things have moved in a, in a pretty significant direction with the city coming out in support of repealing the law. So, I'm sure within the you know the next few months, we'll see an official repeal of the law. Um, and it coincides with a lot of interesting venues opening in New York at the same time. So um, a new era is is upon us in New York Nightlife.
1: Jeffy Haza is a staff writer for the outline. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you. Hey, William. Hey. You've been reporting on a new law firm called Whistleblower Aid. Um, tell me about what they do.
4: Whistleblower Aid is this new firm. Whistleblower Aid. Report government lawbreaking without breaking the law. Um, and basically the goal of this law firm is to aid and assist people who work for the government or people who might work for something like a defense contractor, helping them uh, blow the whistle uh, to reveal some wrongdoing or to fix something within the government, sometimes within uh, U.S. intelligence agencies or different branches of the government, like the Interior Department or the EPA. Um, And this firm aims to help them do that. So who are the people behind this new law firm? There's, there's two people, uh, and the person I spoke to is Mark Zaid. He's the founding partner of this firm.
3: The goal is to give rep- representation to the whistleblowers uh, so that they can get their concerns aired and re- redressed and resolved uh, with the greatest protection to them. Whistleblowers should not have to sacrifice their careers because of concerns or actual retaliation. And so this is going to be a real task. We're going to have to take people through the system as far as we can and hopefully give them the protection that they need. At the same time, be able to have them bring forth the information they want the world to see, or the government at least to see.
4: He's a really interesting guy. His job is essentially to represent spies.
3: In the national security world... I've represented some of the deepest, darkest spies that there are in the sense of how undercover they are.
4: He has a security clearance, and he's a lawyer who often will defend people who work for intelligence agencies. Um, He does a lot of work with the Freedom of Information Act, which means he's suing the government to get documents from them.
3: I represent a lot of people who are covert, undercover, secret intelligence officers. So someone could work at the CIA and Publicly, it is not known that they work there. They work somewhere else. Right. And in order for me to represent them, not necessarily as a whistleblower, but let's say they're losing their security clearance, they're 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 being investigated for something really routine, the time card fraud. Then uh, I need to know to work at the CIA, and I need to have a clearance for that. Uh, I'm I'm somewhat unique in in what my law practice is. So so I end up having. Uh, a clearance for many years.
4: The other person who works at this firm was once one of Mark Zaid's clients. His name is John Tai. In 2014, he blew the whistle on what he saw as the NSA using this legal loophole to spy on Americans. Um, And working with Mark Zaid, he eventually wrote an article about it in the Washington Post. All legal, all above board. Um, And so it's these two people are founding
1: this firm. So I think that when many people think of whistleblowing, they assume that it's illegal. I think because of some of the rhetoric uh, around it coming from the government. Right. Um, Like saying that the leaks have to be stopped and all that. Right. Um, What are the, you know, what is is legal whistleblowing versus illegal whistleblowing?
4: So there are these channels within the government. And what Mark does, he says he's really useful because he can be kind of Uh, non-emotional about it. He, you know, a lot of these whistleblowers have strong moral convictions and they're upset about what they're seeing and blowing the whistle. So Mark can kind of be there to guide them and to get the facts right and help them effectively blow the whistle.
3: Someone in the general counsel's office in an agency is going to take me much more seriously and with caution than they would their own employee.
4: Um, But, you know, there's some cases like Edward Snowden would have never been able to go through the official channels with what he wanted to do because, you know, it's obvious in the way that The Intercept is still publishing some of his documents that he really wanted to expose this, the scale and the scope of the NSA's operations around the world, which, you know, they would have seen as ridiculous. In, in a lot of cases, he was blowing the whistle on wrongdoing, but in other ways, he was kind of exposing this massive apparatus.
1: So when did this law firm start? Uh, It's brand
4: new. It just started this week. And what has the reaction been so far? Um, When I asked Mark, he said he's received a lot of uh, positive feedback and praise. A lot of former whistleblowers have reached out to him and said that they think it's a great idea. Um, On the other hand, Julian Assange at WikiLeaks has been extremely critical of Mark. Um, That's because Mark is kind of an advocate for going through governmental channels and kind of leaking within procedure Um, and Julian Assange sees that as basically, you know, working for the government,
3: other than WikiLeaks and people who think I'm a a government hack and government spy, and this is a trap. Everybody has been, everybody has been praising the effort. I mean, and and what I've been saying back to WikiLeaks and and WikiLeaks supporters, okay, how do you not support what we're trying to do? We are trying to hold the U S government accountable and provide free legal services to whistleblowers so that they don't ruin their careers in the process or be prosecuted. Wow, that's such a horrible thing.
4: Mark thinks these employees uh, shouldn't have to destroy their lives by leaking to the media and then going to jail in order to expose wrongdoing within the government.
3: I, I, I never say the system works well, but it, but it is a system. And, and sometimes it does work. Um, now, a lot of times the whistleblower has got to be prepared for some bad things to happen. If, if you are willing to take a step away from what you're doing, then it could work out really well. But part of going through the system and failing is not necessarily a bad thing, because if you can bring to light that that system failed, that's how you can fix the system.
1: William Turton is a staff writer here at The Outline. Thanks, William. Thanks, Sam. That's it for The Dispatch. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Thonis. More stories tomorrow morning.